Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Varesen. And I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. And if you're a new, new listener to the show, welcome. We're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. So the purpose of this podcast is to help parents, guardians, and other caring adults start some difficult conversations about with, with their teens and about teen mental health. Um, conversations really make a difference. We, we, we stress this all the time. This is our second and new show of the season, and we're actually, we're not due back until next week. But given the timeliness of the news of the Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen and, and the disturbing claims uh, about what the company knows about the Facebook platform, and in particular, how the Instagram app has been used to demonstrate body image images, uh, which has negatively affected largely teenage girls. And all of this was known uh, to Instagram and Facebook. Um, we felt it was really important for us to address this issue. So on today's show, we're going to spend a little more time using our shrink brains to process these claims about mental health harm that Instagram is causing or allegedly causing, uh, and then talk through some guidance to help our young people navigate social and digital media in healthier and safer ways. And I might add, to help our parents and caregivers navigate digital media in healthier and safer ways and provide guidance for our younger people. It shouldn't be the uh, job of our young people to have to protect themselves, but um, we're all hostages to this new digital age, and um, we need to know how to harness it and how to protect ourselves and protect our kids. So, Khadija, what do you think? I think we should jump right in. Um, and I'd like to start by talking about Instagram. And for those who are listening who haven't seen the 60 Minutes interview with Francis Helgen or read the initial Wall Street Journal article that uh, leaked, that showed the leaked Facebook research, you can find those in our podcast descriptions. Um, but it's all really, really upsetting. And Facebook's own studies have found that 13.5% of teen girls say that Instagram makes their thoughts of suicide worse. And 17% of teen girls say that Instagram makes their eating disorders worse. And what Frances Haugen said in the 60-minute interview is that Facebook's own research says, as these young women begin to consume the eating disorder content, they get more depressed and it actually makes them use the app more. And then as you can imagine, it's a vicious cycle. And so they end up in this feedback cycle where they hate their bodies more and more. And Facebook's own research says, is not that the Instagram is dangerous for teenagers, but that it actually harms teenagers. And that it's actually distinctly worse than other forms of social media. And that is so concerning and alarming considering how much time teenagers spend on Instagram and other social media platforms. Let's hear it from a child psychiatrist perspective, Dr. Baresson. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm, I'm a, I'm, I must say I'm a, I'm a digital immigrant rather than a digital native, um, but, but I think that both adults and young people are hostages to digital media. And um, one of the things that we've talked about on our website is the possible risks of using digital media in general. I mean, before we even get into this issue of body image, kids, as well as adults, say over and over that it's intrusive, it's traumatizing, it causes stress and high drama, 
They trust social media as a valid site for news and for information. Uh, they put our brains on overdrive. That's the downside of digital media. On the other hand, they do use social media and digital media for reaching out for help and for documentation of various different things if they go to veritable, you know, reasonable sites and for support. But as, as Jen Duren and I wrote about uh, on the Clay Center site, digital media is dangerous for particularly for girls and body image. It's because it tends to inflate, I think, the ideals of what we see as beautiful, acceptable, being in control, valuable, um, and and, and uh, particularly, unfortunately, in our society for women and girls, but also for boys in, in various other ways. Body image is really important. You know, I remember the movie The Breakfast Club, 1985, and um, and even then, even then, nothing's changed much. For adolescents, image, image, image is pretty much everything. And um, I think when we're talking about body image, we, we, we are running into issues that have to do with um, self-esteem and with feelings of control and with how we're accepted by others. Um, and in some ways, it's so superficial because what we really care about, and if you ask any teenager, they'll say, well, what I really care about is do people like me? Am I a nice person? Am I good to others? Am I caring? And yet, the power of image, the power of being a celebrity, the power of being beautiful is so compelling that it's hard to get away from it. And I think what we were showing is that Instagram, Facebook knew this, uh, and they essentially capitalized on it for um, for profit. But I think what you said a couple of times is power. And social media is such a powerful tool that a lot of our kids use, even though there's a huge effort towards, you know, not trying to idealize thin as the, as the, the way to go or as the, the ideal um, with people and celebrities and musicians really embracing different sizes and body shapes is still so powerful where you where you look at social media and especially if you have any like you said vulnerabilities or or, or low self-esteem and you're looking at social media then it's still what's what's idealized and people are posting about their their exercise habits they're posting about their diets they're posting about um, all kinds of things all in the vein to be thin and if you're someone who is not able to look at this information and think about whether this is something that fits you and your circumstances situation or whether this is healthy for you and your circumstances situation, it could be really dangerous. Um, some of these, these fad diets that are, that are um, promoted on, on Instagram and, and other social media sites are, are not healthy and, and even beyond not healthy, they, they are also dangerous. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Uh, so how are they dangerous? Khadija, do you tell me? So a lot of these these diets are fad diets that promote either a some degree of starvation where you're fasting for 
you know, long periods of time, or I've even seen diets where you're fasting for days at a time. Um, they, they promote uh, really restricted diets in terms of what you put into your body. And it completely takes away from the joy of just enjoying food, enjoying the rush of a workout, the, the joy of feeling good after you worked out. But it all is for now a purpose. It's almost like you're just chasing this carrot. And on online, everyone looks great and wonderful and they look you know, refreshed and they're glowing and they're glistening. But that's not always the truth because it really is just what they want you to see. And I think I was talking to someone the other day. It's kind of like, you know, give me the secret to your, you know, Thanksgiving gravy sauce. But if I give you all of the, the ingredients and leave out my secret, you're not going to be able to make my gravy sauce. Like, so they're giving you tidbits of what they want you to see, which is often a finished result, but they don't give you the big picture, the whole picture. And, and some kids are, are, are too young to realize like there's some missing pieces here. Like this doesn't all add up. Um, and so they seek to achieve what they see online. So, so one of the things that, that, I've talked about in the past with Jen Duran um, uh, is, you know, there are a number of things that parents really can be doing to kind of offset this um, in terms of, in terms of body image. And that is, is to um, monitor uh, your kid's language. Uh, you know, uh, you know, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that cookie. It has too many calories. Well, you know, highlight qualities other than weight or shape. You know, I mean, we can we can be doing things to help kids develop positive self-esteem and positive self-image other than looking at what they appear to be. Uh, focusing on character traits, you know, especially when they're young, you know, commenting, for example, if, if you happen to see their posts, you know, um, take a look at them, you know. And comment on other things other than than the way somebody looks. Talk about you know a funny video that they sent, or a good piece of humor, or um, or a dance, or you know. Uh, I would also encourage us all to put the phones down. I mean, how much time we're spending online, or really, it's really just kind of outrageous, and um, doesn't doesn't support uh, kind of a, a healthy balance. In, in life. And, and I think to that same point, as we're monitoring what they say and trying to reshape what they say in relationship to food, we also need to monitor what we say in relationship to food. Um, just like we, we don't want to focus on someone's just physical characteristics. We also don't want to, to complain about what we put into our mouths and how much, uh, how many calories these, these are. We have to be able to model what we are going to expect what we're gonna ask them to do. And in terms of thinking about looking at their sites, asking them to share with, with you what apps they're using, what websites they're using. You know, you can make it casual. So what, what are your friends talking about online these days? What kind of apps are your friends using? Like, you know, even poke fun at the fact that we're not necessarily as fluid with these uh, programs as they are. Like, I'm still using uh, whatever the old apps are. Can't show me what what's the newest and the latest and how do you use it? Um, they, these are just ways to kind of share and what is interesting to them and what they're passionate about, have a casual conversation about it. And at the same time, you're, you're able to gather information and use that information to help support them to be uh, safe and, and thoughtful while they're, while they're using uh, internet. And I would add to that, that, you know, parents and caregivers are role models. 
I mean, how often do we hear parents talking about, oh, I, I ate so much today, or, oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't have that many calories, or, you know, I'm really getting fat, or comments about their own appearance, or their, their satisfaction or dissatisfaction with their appearance. I mean, you know, I mean, teenagers are the most vulnerable because they're in the process of, of development from 14 to 26, but be aware as parents about how you make comments about celebrities you see on TV, about how thin they are, or, or, or how much you wish you could be like that. There are plenty of things to focus on rather than body image, but our society, I think, for a long time has been overly focused on thinness as a sign of beauty, power, control and um, glamour. So it's, it's uh, be careful about how, what we as parents convey in our conversations. And I would agree with you 100% because our kids are, are always watching and listening. Um, and I, you know, I just want to, it's just so, it's just so unsettling that, that this data was, was not shared so that people could make an, an active choice to, again, better help and support their, their young people, um, especially as it relates to body image and eating disorders. You know, it's such a severe diagnosis that really has a tremendous impact on the entire life, pretty much, of a young person. It impacts their relationships with their family. They're, they're you know, they're fighting about food and weight all the time. It, it impacts their, their, their social life, their academic life. Um, you know, they stop hanging out with friends. They stop doing activities, often because now they're probably being forbidden because maybe they're too they're too uh, underweight, but it just has such a tremendous and can be detrimental impact on, on the life of a young person and their entire family. And that this was allowed to kind of go on in this way is really unsettling that this is how that was handled. Um, but I bet people are going to come into your office and ask you, so now do I just block all the apps on my kid's phone? How would you, what would you respond to that? Absolutely. No, I, I wouldn't at all because I think uh, censorship has never worked. Uh, kids will find a way to get around it. Um, I, I, I'll come back to that. I'd like to talk about media literacy, but before I do, um, what's fascinating to me um, is that um, it looks to, it, from, from what I've seen and heard about this whistleblower, um, what the apps say, what the app leaders say that they're attempting to do is to foster conversations, to engage people. But, you know, they're not engaging them through evidence-based sound knowledge or information. Uh, what's really compelling is tweaking emotions. And that's scary because um, they tweak emotions of anger and hate on the one hand. They uh, appear, in this case, to appeal to the emotions of uh, envy or competition, uh, but negative emotions. Um, now, that's not to say that positive emotions aren't tweaked as well. I mean, I, I know my own kids and grandchildren and plenty of people that I know will send around funny videos and wonderful music videos and things that make you laugh. Um, that's great. But what's interesting about this whole thing 
is that the, the strongest force, for better or worse, is the apps playing into our emotional lives. And what's fascinating to me is even if it makes you feel bad, like these teenagers that keep coming back, you would think, okay, the images that they're seeing on Instagram make them feel inferior because they're, you know, glorious, thin, beautiful images. But they come back to it. It's curious that we come back to some of these things that make us feel bad. Now, maybe that's why we come back to like binge watching The Handmaiden's Tale or dystopian things or horror movies or, <laughs> you know, I mean, we are in a sense captives of media tweaking our emotions. So I think keeping that in mind and, and being aware, even if something makes you feel bad, you're going to come back to it. No. Kadiji, maybe I'll ask you, why, do, why, would a, why would a kid who feels crummy about herself come back to Instagram when she already is feeling terrible? I wonder, you know, on one hand, is it that they're not realizing or drawing the connection that, that it is the Instagram that's making them feel crummy or the, the, the pictures that they're pulling up that are making them feel so badly in part? The other part of it is I wonder if if it's almost like, um, you know, a motivation. Like if I just, if I keep looking and if I keep striving to achieve, I'll eventually get there and then I'll feel better. Um, it's, it's hard to know what, what drives people's uh, actions. Like what's the function of their behavior? Like what is what does it do for them? Um, that, that one to me is a little bit trickier. Um, definitely what came up a lot in, in the talks and in what I've read is that one of the key emotions that they try to trigger is anger. And we know based on this past 18 months, um, which we've talked about so often is just this loss of civility. And the fact that they cut off the, the measures um, of civil integrity is, is, was, was astounding. Um, the fact that they had to put them in place as a safety measure and then take them away was just, was just um, mind blowing. Um, but, but essentially, anger has really brought out the worst in a lot of us over this past 18 months. And I think that is what we saw, like these algorithms just really pumped up and, and brought out and put for, for show the worst in, in so many people. Um, so I, it, it makes sense about the anger. The other one I think is a little bit more tricky to understand. But I think in part, when we think about young people, they wanna belong and they wanna be part of a, a group and they wanna feel like they fit in. And I think as much as they, maybe can rationally say, I don't need to be like this, or I don't need to look like this. I think the, the draw, especially for young people as they're trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be and, and who they want to kind of portray themselves to the world as, they're drawn to these images that are motivating and which again, because of the world that we live in, we place a lot of emphasis on just physical features as opposed to you know character traits of kindness, warmth, uh, you know, uh, someone's maybe smile or their, the, the sound of their laugh. It really is about just what they look like physically, but we have to do better. Yeah, we, we can do better. Um, so um, it leads so me to, you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so are, are you going to tell the parents to delete all the apps and, and put restrictions on the phones? No, 
I think I think part of the absolutely not. I mean, we've learned, like I said, we've learned that censorship prohibition is is never works. It backfires. What would be helpful would be to help adults as well as kids learn how to harness uh, digital media. Uh, for better rather than for worse. And that means, um, frankly, because of the power and the pervasiveness and the, ex the extent and the depth of, of this media, we really do need media literacy uh, curricula from K through college and beyond. Um, and that means uh, how do you sort proper from improper information? How do you determine um, what's healthy and what's not healthy? How do you learn social etiquette on the media? How do you kind of uh, avoid cyberbullying or, uh, or, or sexting? Um, how do you avoid putting other people down? Uh, how do you get into civil conversations using social media? You know, and, and, and the other aspect of it and, you know, is, is learning sites that we can all go to, like commonsensemedia.org, uh, that actually does review appropriate use of, of digital media. It's such an integral part of our lives. I think it should be part of our social-emotional learning curricula. Beyond that, I think it will be reinforced if every uh, healthcare provider included a media literacy component into the social history. So we ask about drugs and alcohol and tobacco and um, school and various parts of the social history. But what we're not asking about is how many TVs are there in the house? How many computers? How many smartphones? What's the use of them? What apps are your kids and you using? Uh, are the phones uh, present at the dinner table? Um, have you having conversations about, uh, about the use of apps and the misuse of apps? Um, and, and those kinds of questions, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics is very strong on this as well. Um, it should be a, such a core component of the, of, the, of the medical history that you know, if every time you went to your primary care physician, they asked about your use of digital media and your family's use of digital media, it would reinforce our awareness of the value, importance, and power of this, of this. You know, and I think that it's really important for us as physicians to ask those questions, and it's super important for parents to, to have that awareness and understanding of what their kids are doing and what motivates them. And so asking again, what apps do you use? You know, why do you use them? Show me how they work. You know, even inquiring for them, like, you know, what do you like about these apps or what do you like about social media? And and do you ever encounter anything that makes you feel bad in any way? Anything that really just particularly like gets under your skin in any particular way? Um, it would be really helpful in really understanding, you know, obviously first what, what they're doing um, and, and why they're doing it, what motivates them, um, you know, what drives them to use it. Uh, and, and then try to supplement, because I agree with you, censoring and, and taking away is, is not going to help, but but alternatives to social media 
you know, like you said, sitting at the dinner table, we have a no phone policy at the dinner table, at any table, which I'm still, I still have to fight every time you sit at the table. Like, is that, is that your phone? Cause I will take it. Um, but you know, we, we have, we have, you know, phone time. Um, we, we go out and we're out, you know, doing something active outside together. Like we put the phones away and, and we, we just try to be mindful in the moment and enjoying the activity or, or each other. But I, those things are important and they have to be deliberate. And again, just like you said earlier, if you don't put your phone down, we can't expect them to put their phones down. Well, there have been studies that have shown that, you know, uh, that, that parents are the worst culprits, that they're taking their kids out for lunch or dinner, and they're like buzzing on their, on their phone. So we got to be good role models. But, you know, I love what you say about sitting down with them with uh, social media with digital media of all kinds, with websites, with uh, YouTube videos, uh, from school-aged children through adolescence and young adulthood. And just, I mean, it, it, it is so rare for a parent to actually sit down while a kid is playing a video game. In one study we did at MGH, you know, many a number of years ago, um, we studied middle school kids, you know, 1,500 of them, and almost no, and 95% of the parents had no idea what the kids were playing. So I think part of parenting, and this is going to be a, a, a tough, a tough, not to crack, but I think with, with persistence, it would be very helpful, is spend a little time sitting down with your kids and showing them what you go to, having them show what they go to, talking about it, having a conversation asking what they're feeling about it, validating their feelings, uh, making comments about it. And this has to do with apps, with, with, with YouTube sites, uh, with television shows that they're, that they're watching, with video games that they're playing. There's a disconnect between a, the parent and child and young person in connecting and looking at the media together and having a conversation about it, I think that would be just such an incredible opportunity. We just have to be able to kind of uh, find the time and motivation to do that. Right. But we would learn so much. And this is not an interrogation. This is going to them with genuine interest and wanting to share and what they're what they're doing and asking questions just to just to learn and understand. And 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 it's comfortable. It, it should feel you know, comfortable. And as much as they may come across annoyed, they, they appreciate, you know, us wanting to be part of their life. Um, you know, I, my son always in this really exhausted way when I ask him, so how are you being safe online? And he goes down the list. I don't give out my name. I don't get, well, I just want to make, you know, I'm just checking in, you know, I just know, but I think these conversations that happen, you know, periodically and, and, you know, it's not a one and done, you have to have them periodically. Um, and as things change, you, you adjust, but but they have to be. There has to be a platform to have these conversations, and, and they sh they they shouldn't feel so. Uh, uh, no. And, and quite frankly, it'll be a place where the kids can teach us about new things. Like just this past week, uh, with one of my patients, he said, "So, do you know what a meme is?" And I said, "Well, no, <laughs> not, not really. I mean, I, I kind of have an idea." But then he said, how about if I teach you? <laughs> and, you know, he started with Kilroy is here. And I said, like, how is that a meme? And then he went into this 
really cool explanation. I was on Zoom with him, so we were we were kind of we had the opportunity to kind of look together at at memes. But it was so instructive for me to understand what a uh, young person could tell me about memes that made it so much richer, deeper, and practical that I really got it. And, and this is a chance for our young people to help us learn, you know, what's, what's going on. Um, so let's, let's check in with each other. Uh, we, we typically do this at the end of our shows. How is this week for you, Khadija? Um, I'm excited about the fall. I, I'm, I wasn't as excited about the abrupt change in the weather, but I'm excited about the fall. I'm excited about pumpkins. I'm excited about, you know, more apple picking. Um, I'm excited about uh, the fact that that means like some of the holidays are coming up. So I'm excited about the fall. Um, how about you? I, I'm I'm looking forward this 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 upcoming weekend. I get to meet my new granddaughter who was born uh, on the 15th of September and uh, half of the family can't make it for one reason or another but but a bunch of us will be there together so uh, getting to see my, my son and his three kids from Philly uh, and, uh, and be there with his twin sister and her kids uh, we do text and FaceTime a lot but you can't beat the real thing of being together in person. So I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, well, at any rate, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we hope that, um, that, that this was a helpful conversation. It's certainly not over. It's just the beginning of a new era that we're all in. And um, we hope that our conversation will help you have yours. I'm Gene Bereson. And I'm Khadija Booth Watkins.